Father, we have come. Father, we have come today to do what we've just declared, to bring our voices together in prayer, to bring our voices together in worship. And God, I pray for each one of us, myself included, that our encounter with you today, Father, would be so heavy and yet so light. That our encounter with you today would be transformative. And not so that we can reflect back and we had a great morning at Lake Avenue Church, but we lived differently because we were in your presence. So help us now, Father, as we look to your word, as we continue to worship you this morning, help us to encounter you in a transforming way so that when we leave, that our real worship would begin. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. You know, uh, both Scott, Pastor Scott, uh, Pastor Scott, Pastor Chuck, it's very formal today, everyone. They've already told you what I'm gonna preach about, and I don't know if that's true or not, we'll have to see. I am uh, from uh, the mixed tape generation. Anyone else? Yeah, some of you are the burned CD generation. Some of you are the Spotify generation. Some of you need to call someone after the service to know any of this. But when I was in high school in the early 90s, you would put a lot of time and effort into putting a mixed tape together for a particular occasion. Um, sometimes those mixed tapes were for friends, and there was something about the experience of the mixed tape where you could grab all of the most meaningful or, or all of the songs that are speaking to that particular moment and just put them all in one experience. And uh, and I have this one memory, this is not, I, I'm gonna share it, but uh, when I was, I loved manipulating music, actually I've done it my whole life, to capture the mood or the objective of what I'm trying to achieve. And so the other night, uh, Henry had a friend over and who has better taste in music than Henry because it was all of the stuff I like. <laughs> and we had a whole conversation about the Violent Femmes, which is a phenomenal uh, band. And I told the story that, uh, as to give you an example how consistent I am as a person, uh, and when I was a junior in high school, I really liked this one girl, uh, Vanessa. Maybe you're watching, Vanessa. Um, <laughs> I hope you're... Uh, um, and uh, I wanted her to go to prom with me, and we're driving in Ventura, California, and I fake car trouble in my Mazda 626, pretend like something's wrong, but I had the tape cued perfectly to the Violent Femme song, American Music, and there is a line in that song, if you know it, and it says, I need a date to the prom, would you like to come along? Nobody will go to the prom with me. And so I pretended I had car trouble, came back out, said, hey, we're gonna be here a while, would you push this in, super awkward, but it worked, she went to prom with me. Vanessa, I had a great night, and um, I hope you've had a good life. But the reality is mixtapes, playlists, when they capture a moment or a season, um, I think they're incredibly redundant and they're also really complicated. 
They're redundant in the sense that, say for instance, you are making a, a mixtape of a relationship that has ended, that you aren't ready for. It's probably really sappy, difficult songs over and over and over again, just said differently with different rhythm. And yet what's behind the redundancy of very simple lyrics or redundant lyrics is the complexity of being human in a time where you need someone else to express what's going on for you. Uh, the last many months in our home, one of the ways we have chosen to lean in to what's going on in terms of a change for us as a family is we've had a very open playlist that anyone can add a song to. Uh, Jenny hasn't added too many. Russell has added the most hopeful and spiritual music, so Russell, well done. The moment I was most proud of Henry is when he um, suggested we would put a Phil Collins song on. You can guess which one that is. Um, and then I quizzed him, do you think this is Phil Collins or do you think this is from Genesis? And he knew the right answer and I know we've raised you correctly. Henry, thank you. And then there's my songs. A mixture of Mariah Carey, Boys to Men, Olivia Rodrigo, The Beastie Boys, King and Country, Lagwagon, Tamala Man, Michael W. Smith. <laughs> Complicated, uh, well, you can clap, I guess. A complicated uh, playlist for a complicated time, incredibly redundant and incredibly honest. Our playlist changes, it's changing, and I imagine there'll be more songs added. A range of emotions in a redundant but complicated time. And as I was praying about what I might say to you on, on this Sunday, I really do feel like the Lord gave me a text that is, I pray for those of you who are connected to Jesus, so you follow Jesus. I hope there's some redundancy in this. This should be nothing new. Uh, but I hope that in its redundancy that you would see the complicated emotional things that are happening in this very short episode in the life of Jesus. I know that we have titled this my last sermon. I think that's a generous word for this time. But let's try. And if you have a copy of the, um, of the scriptures and you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? I'm in the Gospel of Mark, the 10th chapter, verses 13 to 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, for those of you who are saying to yourself, I know this story. I mean, this is the story where we find out that Jesus loves the little children. This is the story of, of picture Bibles and children's Bibles that is glorious in its representation 
of all these wonderful children resting at the feet of a very gentle Jesus. And the reality is that, yeah, we can dig some of the truth out of that, but I hope you see, and as we look at this text just briefly, that there's a whole lot more emotion happening. There's a whole lot more complexity happening in this very short episode, and yet, I think it's incredibly telling. It's incredibly inspiring, I pray, for you and for me as we move out of this time of worship into prayerfully a life of faithfulness. So as true as it is that you might know this story, as true as it is that I know this story, I would ask for you to pause just for a moment and ask the Lord if he might reveal something new to you, something more difficult about this story than maybe a known conclusion that we bring to the text. I just have two points today, and the first one is this. I hope you see in this text that proximity doesn't mean understanding. That relationship with Jesus doesn't automatically mean faithfulness. You see in this text that the closest to Jesus missed it. The ones he has invested in a significant amount of time, those who have access to his teachings, those who have to this point in the Gospel of Mark just seen a demon come out of a child. The disciples who got extra time with Jesus find themselves in this scene that was new for them in their life with Jesus where for some reason, we don't totally know why, but Parents are bringing their kids so that Jesus might touch them. Well, he had just cast out a demon. He was doing miraculous things. He was on the rise. His ministry was increasing. And I have my own children, and many of you have your own children, and some of us wait in line at Romans so they might meet an author. Think about what it would be to have this Messiah, this person claiming to be Messiah, this person who's doing miracles, to, to just lay their hands, think about the intention, the desire of these parents. But what the text tells us primarily is that disciples thought Jesus had no interest in being around these kids. That the disciples were turning the parents away, turning the children away. It says that they were rebuking. They were rebuking. They weren't just gently asking them to step aside because Jesus has a dinner reservation. They were passionate about how, how much Jesus was not interested in this. Their proximity to Jesus did not mean they understood at that point what faithfulness was to be. Their relationship with Jesus doesn't automatically assume faithfulness. If the disciples have blind spots, Lake Avenue Church, you and I have blind spots as well. I often think that Jesus has more important things to do, more important people to be with, and that Jesus could use his time better. I mean, honestly, think about how much stuff we have Jesus wrapped up in, in our culture. Pick any, uh, you know, segment of Christianity, and we have Jesus doing really important things, sitting with really important people as the most important thing that Jesus should be doing. We also are very quick 
to assume where Jesus is supposed to be, who he's supposed to be with, and what he is supposed to do. And the disciples who are proximate, the most proximate to Jesus, they teach us that even when we're proximate to Jesus, we can greatly misinterpret what Jesus has taught, and we can greatly make the focus about something else. And that's not just a disciple problem in the gospel. That is a challenge for you and for me. I was packing up my office this week, very emotional, by the way, 20-something years of pictures and memories and files, and I got rid of so many things. It was great. And if you want youth ministry books that are irrelevant, Kara, you can come to my office. <laughs> the ones we wrote together. They were, yours hold up, Kara, I promise. And as great as some of those memories were, I was also reminded of how often over the last 22 years I've missed it. How many moments that um, I thought I was being faithful. Where I was certain that this particular situation or relationship, where I was certain that even the text was saying something, that upon more growth and more time with Jesus, I reflect backwards and realize that even, that even those of us who formally work for Jesus miss it the most. In fact, the text would suggest that to be true. The, the richness of, of being a part of a congregation this long, and I, I can look over at some of our young adults and one student in particular. How's it going, Peter? where we sat at that Hawaiian barbecue place and I asked for your forgiveness for the things I could have done better. And I'm reminded of the richness of being able to sit in relationship long enough to own the moments where my, our certainty in what faithfulness looks like becomes more complex. Proximity doesn't mean understanding Relationship with Jesus doesn't automatically mean faithfulness. And hear this from the bottom of my heart. Time spent at Lake Avenue Church doesn't necessarily equate to something marvelous. The disciples had access. The disciples had all, they were front row. And they still missed it. And I think the call for you and I as we move forward isn't the goal to just never miss it. It's about being so close to Jesus that when we miss it, we can hear his voice and hear his teaching to correct us. If there's anything that in my time here where I missed it and it impacted you and hurt you, I ask for your forgiveness. The other thing that I want to talk about in this text is faithfulness to Jesus is so connected to the unlikely other, to the unwelcomed other. It's central, friends. It's not uh, yeah, one day or just give a couple dollars to the person experiencing homelessness. Jesus is kind of keenly focused on the way that we treat the unwelcomed other, the unlikely person in our midst, in our church, in our culture, 
that that very person, that very relationship is so connected to what faithfulness looks like. I wonder sometimes out loud if part of why the national witness to Jesus would be more beautiful if we just got closer to those who are unlikely and those who are unwelcomed. I hope you see in this text where the disciples are rebuking parents for bringing their children, the text tells us that Jesus was indignant. Jesus was angry. Last week I asked you in that when we looked at Peter, I asked what what was the tone you hear Jesus in when he tells Peter you of little faith? And I suggested to you that when, when Jesus is speaking to Peter in that moment, I, I don't think it's an angry Jesus. I don't think it's a, a Jesus with shameful words. I think it's a Jesus who longed for Peter to have a more free existence, a more free life. Uh, Peter with an adventure and a little bit of like, I mean, come on, come on, friend. But we also have other moments where Jesus does get angry, and it's interesting, and it would be worth it, especially if you're new to the Scripture. I think what you'll find is what I find all the time. When we track the times and the situations that Jesus gets angry, it's not typically the things that we as Christians get angry about in the public space. The anger of Jesus is reserved really for those of us who who miss it. Who are, who are hindering the other from coming into proximity and relationship with Jesus. This is an impassioned correction from Jesus to his disciples, and he offers it what would be a stinging reversal of their expectations, of their understanding of what the culture was suggesting was valuable. You, you know this. Children were vulnerable, children had no rights, their value was often seen as economic, or they had a value later one day. And while I think there's great progress in the value of younger lives among us, the reality is they're still kind of on the fringes in our world. High school students and young adults, you are growing up at a time where the world tells you that you need to be fantastic at everything all the time. That's heavy. Jesus doesn't expect you to be fantastic at everything all the time. If anything, he expects those of us who are older to help you become great and valued and loved. And while our kids are growing up at a time where they're supposed to be perfect at everything all the time, there are plenty of people living in Pasadena, California, in the Los Angeles County, wherever you're joining us, it doesn't take long to find those who in our world are vulnerable, those in our world who have no rights, those in our world who only bring value if they do something for someone Jesus not only elevates the children, but he's elevating for you and I the unlikely, the unseen, and the unwelcomed. And he connects the other's welfare 
to what faithfulness looks like for the disciples. He specifically tells them, do not hinder them from coming to me. Church, we're growing up. We are in a time. My children are growing up in a time where I think we ought to ask some serious questions. And my prayer would be that you keep asking the questions here at Lake. In which ways might we be hindering people from coming to faith in Christ? In which ways do we hinder people from even even stepping foot into the doors of this church or being welcomed into our homes or in relationship with someone who is a follower of Jesus? Jesus is impassioned. He's upset. He's showing some emotion, saying, do not hinder them, and then he keeps going. I had a professor at undergrad who said this is one of those jugular verses, Jesus going for the jugular, where he says, actually, it's not just about hindering them. You actually need to be more like them to experience the kingdom. So again, it's not about charity. It's not just about getting next to the unlikely and the unseen and the unwelcomed and, and, and helping them out. It's saying, actually, I need... I need to learn from you. That, that your existence in this world of, of having no status or to be vulnerable in this world, if I can get close to you and enter relationship with you, I actually might learn more about who Jesus is. My encouragement to you as I think back on the last several years and the last interim, I know we're kind of interim round two. But that time in between beloved Pastor Gordon and Pastor Greg, I would argue, do you know what brought this church together? I know you love Denny, I love Denny too. Because our high, I think it was our high school kids who went to Louisiana, fell in love with the congregation, came back and told you about it, And for the next year and a half, we sent hundreds of people to go rebuild houses for brothers and sisters somewhere else, and not just build houses, but to enter relationship with an unlikely, an unwelcomed other. And that season where we allowed our kids and their faith and their sense of what was right and good and what a church ought to do blessed us as a congregation. I would encourage you in the days ahead to listen to this amazing group of young adults, 40 of them, you read it, went away on retreat, and for some reason woke up early to get back here. I'm super honored. I I don't know if I would have done it, but (laughs) we're to listen to our high school students. In the last few weeks, I've had numerous conversations with high school students. Right, Kate? Where are you, Kate? There's my Kate. Closest I'll get to a daughter, Kate. They are an amazing generation. And yeah, their world's a little bit different. They don't know what a mixtape is the same way. They may know what it is. They don't know how to do it. But man, they get faithfulness in a way that we need. And I pray that in the coming days, you and I, those who are older, would not hinder them and that we would learn from them. Our young get it in a unique way, and I think we need them in this next season, which is really the sermon they want me to preach or what I said I was going to preach. 
was that I've thought about what it looks like to end today, and I'm, I'm so grateful, and I brought a real handkerchief, and you're gonna have to put up with tears. What I really hope is that there would be a renewed commitment for those of you who call Lake Avenue Church your church. Because I am 100% confident that the mission of this church is good and it's faithful. And the staff that this church has and you, the congregation, are a beautiful depiction of a community that if we focus and if you focus on mission, I have all the hope in the world that the hindering will decrease in this world and more people will come to faith in Jesus. And so today, yeah, Jenny and me, the boys are off limits for you today. Jenny and me will be outside to, to greet you and to thank you and to, to uh, COVID hug you. Um, but you also see around the patio just really key areas uh, where we, this church needs people to serve. And it is mind blowing to me that during a pandemic, you ought to know this, that our youth ministries have grown significantly. And we actually need people to walk life with students. And as I reflect on my years, and Morgan, one of my students, blew me away from driving down here from the Fresno area. Wow. This text becomes so personal to me because when I think about where I understood and where I've grown the most in my life with Jesus, it's when I was doing youth ministry. And it wasn't just because they were a captive audience and they're, they laugh easier and more fun than adults. <laughs> they're not so sensitive. But it's because when you actually live the way Jesus says and you get next to the unlikely, the unwelcome, the person who the culture says needs to learn more to really get it, is where I understood Jesus more. And if you are someone who is frankly just kind of grumpy about the next generation, you're just grumpy about the state of the world or the country, I would just ask you to consider living the way Jesus invites you to live. To get away from yourself and the things you think Jesus needs to be involved in and get close to a child. Get close to a student. Not because they need you, they do, but you need them as well. I didn't wake up one day and love vacation Bible school. But I know that one of the things I'm most in awe of what God has done in our time here is a, a vacation Bible school that went from you know, roughly 60 to 80 kids to over 500. And, and again, let me be your docent. When, when, when a church centers and elevates children, when a church centers and elevates those that are vulnerable, we all can join in mission in a beautiful way. I invite you as you move forward at Lake to give yourself away to give your understanding of what faithfulness looks like away. I've said this in a few environments and I'll say this and then close with an ending thought.
is the, over the last two years, I've been asked so many times, whether at Trader Joe's or at Facebook or around the Rose Bowl or even at Starbucks, like, what's your vision, Jeff? What's your vision for Lake? And, and I don't know if I had one, except when I said, you know what I think would really be inspiring? Is how somehow what is known and celebrated as the pinnacle of, of being a mature follower of Jesus is the person who gives themselves away. And the complicatedness of the world you and I live in, what often becomes a conversation for us about the maturity, the pinnacle of discipleship. You stay at Lake long enough, and here's what faithfulness looks like. You get on a committee and you get to vote on minutes. <laughs> Important, arguably, yes, but I long for the day where everybody here knows who those who serve in kids and student ministries are. I long for the day where those who greet, and those who serve in, in places that are a little more dirty, a little less upfront, that those people would be the ones who we all know their names and we know their lives. So if you were my high school student, I told you it's, I don't know if it's a sermon, it's something, but we always, whenever we said goodbye to someone, because again, music, um, there was always a cheesy, old, Christian music song that I would play or we would sing, and it is definitely on our playlist. And so we're gonna close the great prophet, Michael W. Smith. <laughs> and I, some of you are just gonna think this is the funniest thing in the world and some of you are gonna cry, and I'm, I'm, I'm right 50-50 on this. Lake Avenue Church, here is where the road divides. Here is where we realize the sculpting of the Father's great design. Through time, you've been a friend to me. The time is now the enemy. I wish we didn't have to say goodbye. But I know, I know, that the road he chose for me, my family, is not the road he chose for you. And so as we both chase the dreams we're after, pray for me, and I will pray for you. Amen.
be seated. So, so Jeff, you just told us that your vision for us, um, for this church, that we would give ourselves away. And as you've told us that, I don't think there's any more powerful statement than the fact that you've showed us that. We are grateful for the gift that you have shared in this place. And you have shared more than anyone here would ever know. You have sacrificed and put this church first in moments that maybe you shouldn't have, but people have grown because of it, and we are grateful. And so in these coming moments, we want to say goodbye. And I say that specifically because we have to say those things. We have to clarify what we are about to do and saying goodbye isn't dismissive. It's actually saying good words over you as we say goodbye. Over years and years in leadership transitions before, all throughout scripture, most recently with Roger and Greg, we have said goodbyes. And so we want to take a moment and thank God for you, for your family, for your service at Lake Avenue Church. And though your service is ending here, your call will continue. (laughs) 
And we're going to hear from a few people that have served with you both inside and outside of this church. Um, to my left, your right, Dan Crichton, who is our current church chair. To my right, your left, is Ashley Pally, who is our current PICO chair, but most, current, most recently a vice chair. Um, we're going to see a slideshow um, for you of moments that you have given yourself away. And then after that, our own Kara Powell will come and lead us with Mark Laberton, the president of Fuller Theological Seminary. And Albert Tate will join us on video. Ways to say thank you and to say a goodbye. Thank you, Chuck, and thank you, church family, for an opportunity just to say a few words about um, our pastor, our friend. Um, but I also want to expand this, and, and, and Jeff, I was really pleased that you talked about VBS, because uh, this year we, we learned about God's treasured people. And uh, you, and Jenny, and Henry, and Russell, you're part of God's treasured family, but you're also a treasure here at Lake Avenue Church. And so we thank you so much for being that treasure to us. I think about um, what you shared today, the thing that, that I hear you saying as, is that Jesus stopped to be with the children. What I see about you and your ministry is that you stopped to be in relationship with us and you shepherded us, and I think that has been your greatest gift, is that your family has been honest and transparent. You've opened your hearts, you opened your lives, you opened your house. I was there one time, and there were kids from the neighborhood jumping in your pool, and you were not sure who they all were. Um, but it was how you see your life, is to be able to open that up, and to be able to share that with community. And I think that's what has made you our, our pastor, is that you've just been in community with us. Whether it's going to camp, um, and seeing the kids, whether it's going to the hospital to pray over somebody, whether it's just sitting at Starbucks and talking with someone about what it means to be and to know who Jesus is and to be reminded of the hope we have and the saving grace we have in Jesus. So thank you for all you have done for us. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Henry. Thank you, Russell, for being part of our family. I just want to say it's perfectly appropriate that Dan has his typed up and mine are handwritten and just written. I think that's exactly who we are. So, um, so for those who don't know me, Ashley Polly, also on the ministry council. Um, today is such an interesting day, right? I think that we are both lamenting and rejoicing um, and learning to hold both of those at the same time. Uh, we rejoice for 22 years and we also rejoice that God is not surprised or shaken, right? Um, and we need to hold that, especially as we go into Advent season. God is not surprised or shaken, and he is with us. Um, so I know Henry and Russell are technically off, off limits today, but I'm holding the mic, so you can't stop me. So Henry and Russell, um, you two are just the coolest kids ever. Um, <laughs> watching, uh, watching Jesus pursue you both 
um, especially in the last few months, and you all getting to be kids at Lake. Jeff says this all the time, that it's really, really hard being pastor's kids, and I hope that we as a church have given you space to just be kids, um, and we apologize for any moments where we were not that for you, but it's been so cool to watch you grow. I have a three-year-old. Three um, he thinks he's 10. He tells me that all the time. It's the oldest he can imagine. I'm 10, um, and Henry and Russell always just give him time and attention and care, and I just appreciate you both for what you've done. Jenny, wow, um, you are remarkable. Um, you are. <laughs> you have an incredible ability to show grace and love and forgiveness and strength and pain all at the same time. And you are an incredible example of how to just be a good Christian and an incredible spouse and an incredible parent. Um, and I just thank you for loving my family and for loving all of us um, and for giving us Jeff, right? Um, we, we thank you for all of that. Jeffrey, woohoo! Um, on behalf of the Ministry Council, thank you. Uh, not just for the last 22 years, but for your depth. Um, I have two stories that came to mind this morning. Uh, one is um, one that Pastor Scott probably doesn't remember, but it happened about eight years ago. I was going to bother Pastor Scott, um, and I heard this new guy was moving into the lead pastor role, and I was like, how's that going with that new guy? Um, and it was you, Jeff. And Scott, you said something beautiful. You said, wow, he is incredible. Today, he asked us all for forgiveness and he was incredibly vulnerable about how hard it is to lead, how much he loves Jesus, and how much he wants to do this well. And I just remembered hearing Scott's like, you had so much, you just believed in him so much, and you were so thankful for him. And that was my first introduction to you, Jeff, and I think you showed that to us again today, that who you are, that you stood up here and you apologized to us, like that's not a gimmick, y'all. That is, that is Jeff, every single moment, wanting to be better and wanting to, um, just, just lead us well. I mean, then the second is we had a ministry council retreat in June and we asked Jeff, hey, give us five minutes in the morning. Just give us a little bit of vision. It's real quick. We got other things to do. This man went on for about 30 minutes and gave us an entire sermon. Um, and it was just this, what you had on your heart for who ministry council was in that moment, where we needed to go, how God was calling you. And so even though this is a goodbye, technically with Lake, you are a pastor. You have a pastor's heart. You are called to pastor people. And I just want to affirm that in you. And I know that we all feel that. And wherever you go and whatever you do, God is with you. Jeff loves Jesus. He always reminds us to trust and to love Jesus. He reminds we, us who we are at Lake and who we belong to. Jesus loves you, Jeff. Thank you for leading us and loving us. We are strong because of how you have led us. Thank you.
Jeff, Jenny, Henry, and Russell, you are a good-looking family. The Madisages only wanted us to take about a half an hour to, play, to pay tribute to them, but our daughter Krista thought this could go for about three hours, so just know that. But we'll honor the half an hour. Uh, Fuller Seminary and Lake Avenue Church have had a long-standing and synergistic relationship that has gone even deeper the last few years thanks to the close personal relationship that Jeff has built with Fuller's president, Mark Laberton. And Mark, many times, Jeff has shared with me and Dave your advice, your counsel, personal, personally and professionally uh, over these last few years to Jeff, and it's just been so perfect. And I'm not just saying that because you're my, my, my boss, okay. Um, so it felt very fitting to have you say a few words about Jeff's leadership today. So let's welcome President Mark Labertson, please. It's really an amazing thing to be a pastor at any time. And in this season, to be a pastor is one of the wildest, craziest, and most difficult jobs that I can imagine. To be the pastor of this particular church with all of its rich history and varied gifts and varied personalities and varied politics and varied everything, it's an even greater challenge. I've often thought that to be a pastor of a church like this is really part just simply being a circus master because there are at least three circles of activity at any given moment and so many challenges. So why do I particularly want to honor you today, Jeff, on this occasion. It's really because of one central trait about you that just has always compelled me. It was demonstrated again this morning. It's clearly part of those pictures, and it's part of the story of Lake Avenue Church itself. And it's really the story of faith. The image that the Bible uses of faith is putting the whole weight of our lives down on the faithfulness of God. I remember when I first met you, being struck by the fact that that was just clearly the kind of person you were. It didn't have to be a long time to discern it. It, it rung in your body, in your words, in your attitudes, in your relationships, in all dimensions of your life. No one ever does this perfectly. No one ever lives a life of faith. Jesus doesn't even hold up quantity as the goal. It's the mustard seed that moves the mountain. But you are a person who simply has a life grounded in faith. Now, it's worth noting that that isn't always true of many people who profess faith. That's a different thing to profess faith than to live faith. And has already been expressed, you are a liver of putting the whole weight of your life and the concerns of your heart and mind for yourself and for your family and for this church and for the world down on the faithfulness of God. There's a second quality, though, to your faith, and that is that your faith is really honest. This is partly what always compels me about getting to be with you, because you are honest. And because your faith and your honesty are not in conflict, but are actually combustible, they are the things that actually make faith possible, because it is always a dynamic between putting the weight of our lives down on the faithfulness of God and the necessary wrestling of an authentic life not least an authentic public life as a, as a public Christian in a context where somehow often pastors hide and mask literally their own inner wrestlings. Whereas today and in all of my experience with you, 
you have simply been honest about where you are, where you are in your questions and your wrestlings and the challenges, where you hope God is, where you're trying to discern where God is, where the challenge of honesty is not just for your sake, as though it's about a personal indulgence of being exposing, but about the fact that the road of faithfulness that Jesus calls us to is a road of faithfulness that has a long, arduous, challenging set of circumstances that will always be before us and that will require honesty if we're gonna walk in a real life of faith. The other quality of faith that really stands out to me is that your faith is salty. When Jesus says in Matthew that we are meant to be the salt of the earth, we are the salt of the earth, it's really an image certainly of, of sharing something that slows down decay as it did in that century. It's, it's certainly an agent that resists destruction, entropy, unwinding, desperation, despair. That's all part of faith and part of salty faith. But it's also about a saltiness that increases thirst, doesn't satiate it. I felt it again this morning in your sermon you are raising our thirst, intensifying a thirst. So what does it mean to be the kind of person that you were describing that would actually see and love in the way that Jesus does? That raises expectations for a saltiness of character, a greater saltiness of, of actually embodying goodness and not just talking about it, a greater saltiness of doing so not just for your sake, for Lake's sake, but for the sake of the world. It's that saltiness that then says, well, it's actually Jesus' love for the whole world. It's Jesus' love for the unseen and the, and the vulnerable. It's Jesus' capacity to take us down unexpected roads and paths. And that's part of your faith. So it's been this faithfulness, this honesty, this saltiness, and then this loving faith. Because the God that you trust is a God whose principal character the capacity to love. It's really hard to love people at close range. It's easy from a distance. It's the old adage of, you know, I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. That's where the rub comes. And when I was looking at all those photographs, so beautiful, I was struck by how many of them are particular people in particular relationships. It's loving at close range. That is costly. It's joyful. It's beautiful. It's painful. It's colliding. But you have trusted in a God of love because your faith is resting in that kind of God. All during the years that we've come to know each other and I've savored so much the way that you have been a pastor to me, the way you illustrated and taught me things about what it means to live a life of faithfulness. It's these qualities. It's just this deep abiding sense that in all the thrashings, your life is settled in where it is, finds home and it's in the faithfulness of God. You've been honest to wrestle in that space and let this community and all of us know what it means to try to live into an act and life of faith. You've done it in a salty way more salt than some would wish, not enough for others. That's the pastoral life as well. And you've done it grounded in this incredible capacity to trust a loving God, to grow our hearts, to enlarge our capacities to see and imagine a world 
defined and held by the love of God that calls us, this wonderful community, and each of us individually, to be people who follow you. That's why you're a pastor. That's why you're a preacher. That's why your ministry over all these decades has been so significant. Jeff, thank you for your friendship to me, and thank you for your faith. Thank you, Mark. Powerful indeed. Jeff, Jenny, Henry, Russell, Dave and I love the relationship our family has had with you over the years and has right now and will have in the future. Our families were part of an intergenerational small group together for too many years to count. You helped baptize our kids, as we saw in the slideshow. We've played a lot of touch football in our backyard. And Jeff, you're a really good athlete. Our son Nathan was Henry's camp counselor. Krista trained Henry in how to make VBS highlight videos this past summer. She said you were very good at it, Henry. And Jessica's now helping out in Club 45 with Russell. All five Powells love all four messages. What's remarkable is how many singles Couples and families at Lake Avenue feel the same closeness with you all. So many of us deeply love and respect you. I've been praying about what to say today, and I love how, Mark, you focused on faith. There's one dominant word that is in big, bold letters for me when I think of you too, and that is grace. You are a consistent and constant channel for God's undeserved grace. By what you do, and more importantly, who you are, you help us live into the favor and blessings of God. Those blessings of God that are not based on what we do, but on who God is. That grace that separates Christianity from every other religion. You model so well. 22 years ago, Jeff, you and I were part of a three-person middle school team here at Lake Avenue. And like you said today, you grew, I grew so much in that season. You started with this church's young people and parents, but God has worked you through you over the last two decades to shower God's grace on all generations. You're Excellent, excellent preaching that we saw again today. <clears throat> Has highlighted the threads of grace that weave through the life and teachings of Jesus and all of the scriptures. From examining Bible passages on racial reconciliation to quoting last week from the lyrics of Moulin Rouge. Your sermons always elevate God's grace. Just as you did this morning, your sermons are full of examples of how God's grace is bigger than our mistakes. By your example and your teaching, you both have helped us understand how God's grace compels us to grow. You view discipleship as taking a next faithful step. 
And that step can only be accomplished through the strength and power of God's grace. You've compassionately and unapologetically invited us to grace-fueled obedience, to love our neighbors as ourselves, as you said today, to welcome the unwelcomed others, to make sacrifices so that others in the San Gabriel Valley and globally will experience God's tangible and transformational love and God's grace. You show grace when people disagree with you. You show grace when others have thought you were too conservative or too liberal in the same sermon. During the pandemic, when I know you were exhausted and drained, you kept persevering and leading us so well. Nobody could have led us like you these last two years. And that's thanks to God's grace. You have urged Lake's pastoral team, ministry council, and leadership at every level to rest in God's grace. You consistently open up your house as a hub of hospitality, authentic conversation, and laughter. God's grace flows through your home and through the good food and beverages at your home. And that you bring to other homes, thank you very much. By God's grace, you have mastered the emotional intelligence to connect with children, to senior adults, and everybody in between. Jeff, there are few who can connect with 12-year-olds and 72-year-olds like you. To watch you do so is more evidence of God's grace. Now let me speak a moment to each of you individually. Jenny, my dear friend. You are married to a man with a big personality and big emotions. Here's what so many of us know. When you meet Jenny, Jeff makes sense. <laughs> Jenny, you are a velvet-covered brick. It is God's grace that makes you so strong on the inside and so approachable on the outside. Jeff, you are great, so gifted at showering the rest of us with God's grace. In this next season, I want you to show yourself the same divine grace that you show all of us. Please give yourself that gift. Let God give you that gift of soaking in his grace for you. As I said to you as recently as yesterday, may you know Jesus makes you enough. In fact, Jesus makes you more than enough.
As Dave and I, Jeff, said months ago, sitting by your pool, you are a pastoral catch. I believe God turns darkness into light. You have been nothing but godly, faithful, and obedient, and God will honor that. I can't wait to see how God's grace becomes even more real to you in this next season. As you marinate in God's grace, the rest of us and your boys will continue to be impacted. As we heard during your wonderful sermon today, you both like music, so I will leave you with a song lyric. As the musical wicked proclaims so well, because we knew you, we have been changed for good. God's grace has flowed through you to indeed change us for good. Albert Tate, an early, early colleague of Jeff's here at Lake, was out of town today. But he came to this worship center this past week and stood right here so we could capture what Jeff and Jenny mean to him in a five-minute video. So let's watch together as we continue to celebrate the impact and legacy of the Matisich family. It was about uh, 16 years ago, me and my wife landed from Pearl, Mississippi, uh, to take this job at this church called Lake Avenue. Um, I was going to be one of the youth pastors partnered along with a guy named Jeff Matisich, who I had only known on email. We were just hiring people through emails back then. We didn't do no HR or something. I didn't fill out an application until I worked here for six months. Obviously, things have changed since then. Uh, Jeff and the team were out at Forest Home. They had come back from Forest Home. He found out I was in town. I was here. He said, I'm coming by. I'll never forget, picked up, picked me up in a green SUV. Um, it took me to Old Town. He said, what you want to eat? And uh, I was like, I don't know, Applebee's, Chili's? He was like, you have lost your mind if you think you've come to Southern California to eat Chili's or Applebee's. I didn't know, you know, it's all about the locals. I, I've learned now since then, I've learned now. Uh, but we found out one of our favorite spots was the wing spot down in Old Town, Pasadena. And let me tell you something. I fell in love with this guy because he knew how to eat a wing. You know what I'm saying? When he got done with a wing, he was done with a wing. He and I could do some damage on some wings. I don't know. I think the number was 100. I think we hit 100 one day. It was a rough day in the office. We was like, let's go get some wings. And we knocked out a hundred. We could do wings. We learned how to do life. Over the following few years, we'd have some really, really great high times and we'd have some really rough, bumpy times. We walk through life, pastoring our students, pastoring here at the church together. 
we'd have some good moments where we'd celebrate with our church family and we'd have some times when we didn't know if we would make it. I remember when I had my first daughter. Not in Mississippi, not at home, not family around. Jeff and Jenny were right there. One of the first ones to hold our baby. I mean, I've, I've been telling her ever since. You know, one of the first people to hold you was a white man. Uh, <laughs> and, and I wouldn't have it any other way. One of the greatest places to ever find yourself is under the shepherding care of Jeff, Jeff Matisich. i never forget being in Mississippi on a trip. My wife and daughter, they're in a car accident right down here in Pasadena. I'm in Mississippi. I've got my wife on the phone and she's hysterical. She's crying. She's traumatized. I can't even make out if they're injured, if they're okay. While she's on this phone, I pick up the other phone and I call Jeff Matisich. And I say, Jeff, I need you. He didn't even let me get the words out of his mouth before he had keys in hand, car, and he picked up my family gathered my family, brought them into his home, and took care of them until I could find my way back. I got on the first flight back, but he said, Albert, don't you worry about a thing. He took care of my family. He took care of me. I'll never forget, we had some of my most memorable moments around meals. This is just, I mean, this is just Jeff, man. He, he just had a taste for, um, for grilled cheese sandwich. So I'm just thinking, we're going to throw some grilled cheese under that. No, 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 no. Jeff gets in there, and he takes the bread, butters it, melts it, and then he takes these green apples and slices them very thinly and layers them on the grilled cheese. And then he grabs this tomato bisque that's just creamy and just melts in your mouth, and he sets the plate with this grilled cheese with apples. I ain't never heard of such a thing. And then this tomato bisque, and I remember us sitting on a chilly January day with this food that literally comforted my soul. That's who Jeff is. He's a comfort for the soul. Jeff, man, I'm sure in the days ahead, you might have more questions than you do answers. But one thing that I, I don't want you to ever have to question, and that I hope you remember all the days of your life, you're a big deal to me. You're a big deal to the kingdom, and you're a big deal to God. The way you shepherd, the way you care, the way you love is unmatched. As we continue to say a good bye, in a moment we are going to have good words, a benediction. I invite you in a moment to, to say those. But you also have to have good instructions for about what's about to happen. And so um, first and foremost, if you're here and you have kids, before you enjoy anything out there, go get your kids. 
Part two um, is that there are service opportunities for you to hear, to engage in, to give your life away. If any of this has moved you and you are in this community, I would invite you to go see the tables for family ministries, the table for outreach and our, um, our angel tree um, and, and involve yourself in something that gives part of your life away. There's another table that's gonna be out there. The young adults have put something together that is both gift, not only to Jeff and Jenny and the Madisage family, but gift to you and to this church. And I hope you go check it out. You guys did a great job of setting that up. And then once again, opportunity say good words to Jeff and Jenny. They will be out on the patio over here after service. Moments for you to just gather together uh, for a moment to say hi to others whom you have seen or haven't seen for a while. We're going to sing the doxology in a moment, but before that moment comes, Jeff, Jenny, would you come? I never approved 30 minutes. I wanted a 40-minute sermon and a 10-minute thank you. So thank you for staying. Um, but I will take a moment. Very important people in our life are here. Uh, my brother Paul and Erica and my niece and nephew are here. Thank you for coming from Carlsbad. Jack and Becky, my in-laws, are here from Santa Monica. Thank you for being here. And I'm sure I'll forget some folks. I want to thank you, President Laberton, uh, Kara, Albert, uh, my friend, a former pastor here, Joseph Barkley, is here somewhere. He's a pastor in Radius in North Hollywood. There's other pastors here. Students are driving in. Old, old, old friends, not old people, old friends <laughs> are here. We're just very grateful. Um, as we talked about this last moment, and I'm grateful that uh, in the nice things you've said about me, that Jenny was uh, appropriately uh, referenced. I've shared this with you several times. Uh, she's the special sauce to this whole operation. And she has um, loved you probably more purely than I ever have. And because of who she is and who we are together, um, it has been an honor. It has been an honor to not just be a part of this congregation, um, but to learn how to follow Jesus together. And I've asked Jenny um, if she'd be willing um, that our final kind of formal word here would be Jenny giving you the benediction. So would you please stand for the benediction? To send us into this coming week, Lake Avenue family, I have borrowed words from Ephesians chapter three. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, Lake Avenue Church, being rooted and firmly established in love, 
may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Unite our voices and we're gonna give a moment for the Madisage family to slip outside, but sing this, the doxology with me. Praise God from whom blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Can we sing it again? Just the voices in the room. Let's sing. Praise God.